Peter Bergstrand from the one yeah. and only Lowrider. Thanks for being on, man. Hi. <laughs> Honored to uh, have you. Uh, huge fan. And it, this is this is going to be great. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Uh, and, and sorry for delaying this. Uh, for people who are watching or, or listening to this, we, we tried this on and off for a couple of weeks, but uh, I work in in uh, in the music and entertainment industry, both sort of like I do a lot of outside of Loretta, I do a lot of like graphics design and, and motion graphics and film and stuff. And December is like a very busy month. So we tried to schedule this. But yeah, this is just just like a little bit after Christmas uh, and uh the pulse is finally down low to where we can actually find a minute to talk. So it's, yeah, it's awesome. And, and yeah, it is awesome. And, and I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to hop on here. So kind of the, uh, the jumping off point of this podcast was the fuzz club episode that we did on Ode to IO. We dove in. I think everyone on there had mostly heard it and all, all big fans of it. So we tried to kind of talk about it as much as we could. And, we kind of established that for a lot of us, it was like kind of a, a Mount Rushmore album, uh, a monumental album and very important album for Stoner Rock. And we had Jad Schickler who helped put out the record. He was right. a guest on that episode. And uh, you had reached out and said that that you could maybe clear up a couple things. I know we had a few questions that were left uh, maybe <laughs> unanswered. We talked about kind of the scene at the time and uh, things with the album and why it took 20 more years to get a second follow-up and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. So that'll be kind of our jumping off point. If it was that Fuzz Club episode. If anyone hasn't checked it out, go check it out. And, and obviously, if you haven't checked out Odio, you know, highly recommend that as well. I mean, for, first of all, it, it was a great episode. Thank you for, for doing that. I actually didn't know that. No, I mean, I speak to Jad uh, pretty much daily since we run Blue's Funeral uh, Records together. Mm-hmm. Um, or Blue Funeral Recordings, sorry. Uh, but I, he's sort of the, the more uh, music and business side, and I'm the on the art side. We we started, uh, I mean, our collaboration goes back to when he signed us uh, back in the 90s or late 90s. But uh, since then, we've just stayed friends. And like um, mid-2010s, he reached out with this like, he just had this crazy idea of, of like uh, getting back into the record industry because he he sort of punched out for a couple of years. Yeah. After after he sold uh, Meter City, that was uh, where Ode to Io was initially released and his label. Uh, but then he was just like, I, I want I want back in. I I have more to give. So we started talking about that. But he was just like, I I want to do something that feels more cohesive and more as sort of uh, an experience. And he had dreamed of this. Or dreamt of this, uh, like something he hadn't seen before, which was like a uh, he'd seen these sort of like subscription services where you get like a a vinyl seven inch uh, each month or something like that. Uh, but he wanted to do it for albums and more like an even more cohesive experience with the graphics and and packaging. So we started dreaming up Postwax together, and that's sort of how Blues Funeral was like born out of committing to doing post-wax and then out of that i mean we also released all those albums as sort of standard releases so then the label was happening so i mean yeah we we talked pretty much on the daily but i didn't know about him doing the this podcast until it's like i by the way i did a podcast in Ohio like a couple of weeks back he's just like (laughs) what you could have told me (laughs) and then and then i 
I saw the episode and it was it was kind of like mind blowing to see from the outside and sort of hear your discussion on on how much it has meant and and just also your theories on on stuff which yeah. is just like for out of I don't know out of respect and also sort of out of uh I know the 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 importance of a good mystery I'd re- maybe I shouldn't reveal like some stuff <laughs> but also it's it's sort of annoying knowing that I mean this record was released in like a time when you weren't doing constant like marketing stuff on Instagram or like anything. So it was just a record that people could read what it says on it. And then you would like make up their own image. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we haven't done a ton of interviews. So there's not that much out there, like how to clear things up. So there's a lot of like misconceptions of, of how, what it is and whatnot. So I, I just yeah. figured I'd, especially when you started talking like, Oh, does this refer to like IO? There was some god that was some like incest stuff. I was just like, yeah. oh wait, we need to clear this shit up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Because uh, no, I, it's it's not. Also, we uh, were mentioned on um, by Metallica, weirdly enough, a couple of years back. Um, Lars Ulrich and uh, James Hetfield had like a. They listed their favorite albums. Uh, and uh, weirdly enough, we ended up on on James Setfield's top ten. I, I uh, saw that you you put that in your Instagram at one yeah, point. Yeah, said Hetfield's favorite band or something like that, and I was like, "That's that's insane. That's awesome." I mean, first of all, I'm a I'm a Metallica <laughs> fan, but that's that's insane, and especially to have it like is. one album at, at that t- point, probably right. I don't know if Refractions was out yet or not, but no, it was it wasn't. This was in like 2017, 18 something. I mean, I was. That's I was amazing. finishing like the demos for Refractions, but we yeah. were mainly like doing this self-released. Like, um, the, why I heard about it was because we were doing this repress of of O2I ourselves on vinyl because it it was just sold out. And I saw on like Discogs and, and eBay that was just like selling for insane amounts. So I was just like, this is nuts. Also, that pressing that we did back then was not very well made because it was most of what people can find was made in, in, or maybe all of it. I think those pressings were made by this, like on a license deal by this place in, in Germany. And they did kind of a piss job with mastering it. And also they, sh- it's really more of like a double vinyl, but they shoved it into one vinyl. So it's like at the cost of uh, sound quality. So I just, we, we did this, uh, we just follow. We will remaster uh, the 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 record and put it out together with like the out of print Nebula EP tracks and call it O2I Deluxe. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely pushed it over <laughs> the two LP uh, barrier. So that's that's what you can buy now. It's a remaster that sounds way better than the first one, yeah. and also the pressing is way better. But I mean that that's when I was sitting like packing those in my basement by myself. Uh, I got this email from from a fan who was just like, "Oh, congrats about the Metallica thing, by the way." I was just like, "What? You, what Metallica thing?" It was like it's a link. I was, just, I was just like, "What the hell is this?" That's amazing. Apparently, apparently then <laughs> Lars Ulrich had this uh, Apple iTunes podcast where they were just like, I don't know, listing their top ten tracks. And I mean, that was then. It might it might not have been for, out of all time, but. 
it seemed like it was like, oh, these are my favorite tracks. And James Setfield uh, played Convoy 5 off of uh, O2IO, which was weird. Yeah. But there was like, that was one first misconception because they said O2IO, which means, at least for me, it would be like the, the ones and zeros, like input, output, that kind of reference. Um, it's not. Uh, it doesn't have that connotation at all. So it, it it's referring it's referring to uh, Jupiter's moon Io, uh, and is sort of a it's a long story and is it doesn't really make it better from from me telling it, but it has to do with my love for for uh, the movies and books of two thousand one and two thousand ten and so forth. Um, so the Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke uh, novels and and then films. Um, so yeah, definitely a, a space theme, but, um, yeah. so it's, it's, it's the moon. That's why also if you, if you buy the record now on CDR vinyl, the, the labels have, um, the pattern you see on this actually, uh, photographs of, of the moon IO. So it's, it's not anywhere in that. And there's no insistious. Yeah. Uh, I think, like, I think that gods. we all assumed as much, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I just figured I, for once, like, yeah. uh, and <laughs> Wait, it's there's something else that people usually I don't I don't remember now, but it's just like people were reading it wrong. Oh yeah. Every people were reading it like O to low. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, for just because it's like it's in lowercase letters. Yeah, the the font yeah, the font it can be a little tricky at times. I mean, it if you just look at it, it clearly says O to I O. Mm-hmm. But and I was just because I didn't want it to be. That's why it is in lowercase letters because I didn't want it to be mistaken for O to low. If you had like capital I and then O, you could read out low. Sure. I was just like, so it was very deliberate back then. But yeah. regardless, it started popping out in reviews and whatnot that it's O to low, and then it should have like snowballed. So <clears throat> again, I don't know if this is going to help, but it's O to I O. <laughs> Well, <clears throat> I think that I, I kind of I brought this up maybe on a couple of different podcasts actually, but I kind of came into stoner rock late. I was more into like heavy metal in high school and college and stuff. But I I, I got bored and was kind of like, I wonder if there's any other bands out there that are like Queens of Stone Age or or something. And and then from there, kind of snowballed. It was like Truck Fighters and right. uh, Rollerball and Astro Queen and and then Odio. And to my disappointment, Astro Queen only had one album. You only had the one album and then there was like this 20 year gap. And I was like, well, that's it. Like, you know, this, this genre must not be, you know, really going anymore. There must not be new music. These bands aren't around anymore. That, that sucks. And around that time, you know, a couple years later, it was like, you guys are putting out this next album and it turned out to be amazing. And what a time to be in Stoner Rock. I mean, there's like these bands kind of coming back and, a big resurgence in like the fandom of it all. And right. people are still super into Sabbath and Caius and, you know, all these, these things. And it, you know, it, it was amazing for me because being a, a new fan, I was like, Oh shit, there's nothing still happening. And then it turns out there absolutely was. I'm, I mean, for, for me, there's been like, uh, I had the same experience, but with, I mean, Jad talked about this uh, a little bit uh, on on your podcast a little bit. It was just like how much time you got. But I mean, since since we he covered most of like how how the second coming of of this type of music came about. Because mm-hmm. I mean, the first really it was like 
there was just a couple of bands that sounded this way. I mean, there's a slew of grunge bands that I also listened to, and they're like, they were borderline, I'd say, like in the sludge stoner, like desert rock kind of vibe. Sure, yeah. But it was like bands like Snail or Tad or, I mean, Melvin's, of course. Yeah. But I mean, they they had their own thing, and it was it was sort of like branching out of the same Sabbath tree, but really not doing what Caius did or Fu Manchu did or or Monster Magnet in their like vein did. Yeah. It just it would those three bands are are very different, but somehow they had like this connective tissue of like it's sort of like I don't know. It's like pizza with different toppings. It's still like, oh I I dig pizza. Right. Um yeah. so um for me, I mean when I discovered Caius I'm born in 1980, so I mean, I was I discovered them really, I think like a month before they broke up. Mm. I was really late on the, I, I thought I was late, and uh, but I was like 14, 15, uh, and I heard and the Circus of Town. I'd I'd been way into like Soundgarden and and all these other bands before that, but I I I didn't know about like sky valley or blues for sun and like that early face they had um it was, i just saw like this bill of like Soundgarden was playing in sweden uh they were doing like this massive tour for down on the upside i think and uh they had a, a bunch of bands like white zombie and um and a couple of other bands like 11 uh and then they had this band caius and i the only band i didn't really know what they were was caius so i just went to the record store and like listen to something as oh, they just put out a record apparently mm-hmm. and i just you know this was back in the day when you went into a record store and you asked them to put on the cd and you just stood there with like borrowed headphones and like, yeah is this for me and you listen for like half a song or a song or whatever and i just stood there and listened to the whole record <laughs> <laughs> and then i was like i was 15 so i was broke <laughs> i wasn't even broke i didn't really have, i mean i didn't well i just had my like i don't know what Whatever mom and dad gave me, uh, and like a CD was a lot. So I, I I came back the next day and was like, "Can I can I listen to it again?" <laughs> and I I think I came back for like a week straight after that. He, he, the guy in the store was just like, "Are you gonna get this or like what's up?" Yeah, I was just like, "Okay." So I, I got it, and then that that was sort of it. I was I was like so hooked, and it was I had the same kind of epiphany when I was 11, when I heard Led Zeppelin for the first time, when I, the first time I just put on the debut album, it was, it was the same thing where I, I hadn't heard music like that at all before. I was just listening to like Twisted Sister and shit like that. And and then an older, uh, uh, an older friend put on like in the car, just put on a tape and I didn't say anything. It was just like good times, bad times, that intro hitting. And I was just like, what is this and like my 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 world just changed right it was like this i that it was that before before and after that moment literally and then it was the next thing that happened after that that had that sort of a a uh effect on me was hearing and the circus leave town and and the intro for hurricane was just like you can you can do it like this yeah (laughs) and weirdly enough both things are hitting our drum intros (laughs) it's just like very significant drum intros Uh uh-huh which has become sort of a red thread through our entire discography as well as like drums matter. But 
but yeah so i mean and just when i discovered that band it was just like i discovered fu manchu after slightly after that uh just trying to find other bands like it but i was just like oh this band i just discovered they just call it quits yeah um and 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 also like i didn't go to that soundgarden show just I, I prioritized shows and I was going to this festival instead of that. And then I sort of, I discovered Kai's after the show. I was just like, fuck. Yeah. And just like the, for years and years, I was just like, oh man, uh, I would just kill myself or I could have been there. And I mean, then I became buds with Tommy and Dozer and all those guys. And they were like, yeah, we were at that show. It was the best fucking thing ever. <laughs> of course it was. was. Like, I was yeah. just like, fuck you. But yeah. but yeah, so I mean, that was sort of the the first seed of of the whole Swedish scene, which was also pretty small. Was just like discovering these bands, and then just wanting to just like you are when you're like sixteen, seventeen, you want to do your own thing based on the stuff you love. Why is there a scene like that in in Sweden of all places with like Dover and 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 Lower I, have, I have no idea, but I mean, we Swedes have always been sort of for the like nine eight million nine million people that live in sweden we've always been very prolific when it comes to music i can't really tell you why but it's just the tradition of we have like more songwriters per capita than anywhere else i mean if you go to if you go to la and just talk to anyone in the pop scene uh it's just like they know that oh if you're getting a swedish songwriter then you're like you got you're getting a hit yeah uh, uh and it's I, I I don't know maybe something in the water. Yeah. Even also, now, I mean, it's like there's there's good bands in like Texas and and stuff like that. But then you go like Greece, Sweden. I mean, there's just like so many good bands coming out of those places, and it's always just surprising, I guess. I I, I've I've always sort of um, at least back in like when we started out, it was like music school, public music school was free. And it was sort of mandatory that you tried out an instrument hmm. via like a regular school. So like when you started like first or second grade, you were just like, there was this like open house day at like the music school, the public music school where you're just like, you could try out anything. Yeah. And then you were like encouraged to play and it was free. So, I mean, it's like, if you don't want to do sports, uh, okay, I'll just pick an instrument and do that for a while. It's sort yeah. of like it, it. It wasn't that sort of like hard threshold of like it. Music means like you, you need to be rich uh, or have rich parents or anything. It's just like no, anyone could play an instrument. So <clears throat> first off of that, and then it's just like it's just a tradition of like Canada great at hockey because you're great at hockey, and then you have like this like resurgence of like uh, the kids want to do what they see on TV or whatever, sure, and yeah. I maybe. I mean, we've always had like, uh, ever since like ABBA and even before that, it's just been like, we have this sort of, I don't know, image of we do music. That's what we do. Um, yeah. Besides like doing furniture that you assemble yourself. Uh, so when, when Ode to IO came out, what was the reception around it at, at that point? Did you, did you get a sense of how uh, Im- important this record would be or become? Or was it just like, <laughs> well, we tried and, you know. It was, it was more like that. I mean. I had nothing like I had no bearings. I was a kind of young. I, I I turned twenty on the tour for Otoyo. Um so I was like, I think I was 
17 when we made the Nebula EP, and then I was 18, turning 19 when we recorded Oto.io. Um, I mean, then I didn't, I thought I was just like, oh, I'm grown up. And now I realize like I'm such a kid. But yeah. I mean, a kid <clears throat> with a lot of like energy to do shit, and, and you had a lot more free time. Yeah. Uh, and also less stuff that was sort of like, I mean, I, you couldn't even fathom having like a phone that would like steal your attention all day long right. like it is now. Um, I mean, it, it does make a lot of things happen as well, but boredom is a lot like a big driving force of, I think, like our, this band and the Swedish music scene. Like yeah. right now, the sun sets at what? Three o'clock? It it rises at nine ten, so we get like four good hours of sunlight. And then when we were growing up, I mean, it's just cold and dark, and you stay inside with your buddies, and like out of boredom, you start bands. Um, at least that's like I think how the Swedish scene came about. Uh, it's boredom is good. <laughs> that's like the bottom line. But yeah, I mean, when we put out <coughs> O2IO, the only like. I wouldn't say like we've had it easy, but we've had a lot of luck. Um, and uh, I mean, the first demo we recorded was, I mean, we just sent it in by chance to this like compilation that Jed was putting out. Uh, and like, so the first demo we did ended up on a compilation together with like John Garcia from Caius, which is like, right. if you tell that to your 17 year old self, it's you're you, you're good there's like yeah. you've won already it's like right. you don't need to yeah. do anything yeah. and everything else is just gravy so yeah. and after that what the next thing that happened after that was jad said oh you know what this went well people really like that track do you have more and i was just like yeah we well, have some tracks like it was just ideas but uh okay let's let's do an ep and uh and then he came up with this idea of like having more of a name band and then like a less name band and putting them together to have an album. So like a double EP, he started that format, uh, which worked really well for us because he put us with Nebula that was just coming off of like the Fu Manchu fame. And uh, then Dozer <laughs> did the same thing with Unita. So I'd say mm -hmm. like Jad Rocket started both of our sort of careers with those EPs. Of course, I'd, I'd like to think that we didn't like fuck up with what we put out there, but sure. Uh, but still, just putting out an EP with an like a no name band, uh, it would not have had the same like thing happen to it. It would like maybe snowball after a while, but I mean, we you have to understand that's what that was like. Our we just like won on, won the lottery pretty much, yeah. uh, and and then. Pretty much straight after that, it was just like, oh, people really like the EP. Did you want to make an album? And we're like, oh, cool. And since we always recorded ourselves in the studio where our drummer works, uh, he's always worked in the same studio since like, I don't know, a year before we started the band. Um, we've had, he was just like, here's the budget for making an album. We were like, uh, okay, that'll buy us two weeks, like in the studio uh, for ourselves or two or three or whatever. Uh, I was like, well, okay, we'll just like go in and record the album then. Like, 
I don't know, you know, just so naive, but, but, um, it was, uh, I think you can hear in the record, it's, it's got this sort of, I don't know, every, every guitar tone is like the same for all the tracks pretty much. Cause we all recorded them like in a batch. Yeah. And the same thing with the drums It's just like, everything is just recorded. Like, okay. All the drums, all the bass, all the guitars. And it's like, and then, oh yeah, we're doing solos last. And then we might have like a wah or not. So that's why it's so consistent. It's just like it, you can hear that it's recorded in the same week. Yeah. Well, it's not uh, a bad thing. Yeah. It's not a bad thing, but it's like, yeah. it's definitely not how that record would have been done today. Would you have thought sure. more about yeah. like differentiating, but, but yeah. So, I mean, we didn't have anything to really, when we put out that album is what was our debut album for all of us. We didn't have, I mean, we'd put out demos with other bands and like, but we've never had anything be like, oh, it's on the actual final. Yeah. It's just like, whoa, this is what, for real. What is the, the stoner rock scene like to you at this point? Because to me, uh, coming in way late and, and not really living through it necessarily, it was like, there's Caius and then there's nothing. And then there's now in, in my, in my view. It's like, I mean, I mean, in a way uh, it was, there was this like post grunge thing that no one really had a word for. Yeah. Pe people that was like into Kaya's and the people in Kaya's called it desert rock. And when you were putting this record out though, were, were you thinking like, well, we're going to enter this scene. There's already a base there. There's fans that are like looking for this stuff. Or we were like, no. We just like this music, so we're just going to make it, and maybe it was, five, five people uh, will hear it, and who cares? A hundred percent that. I mean, okay. I just we just record the tracks that we had. It wasn't like oh, we'll have these like five throwaway songs or whatever. We we went for broke in that way because like yeah. it was again, nineteen euros old or like eighteen or whatever, and like naive. It was just like we'll just record these tracks, and then it was. It was also not like this idea of like what happens if it sounds like shit after the two weeks. It's not like, oh, then we'll just like go back and think it through. Maybe do like a we'll do the vocal takes later and like think about it. It's like, no, the cold I had then is on the record. Cause like <laughs> no, it's we're doing it now. And yeah. then also well, listen since we were like we lived in the studio and every all we did all day long was just like record and listen back and mix ourselves so we had like no time off which meant like when we were getting into crunch mode with like three days left and needing to like uh also record while mixing i i was just waking up you know like we stayed up until one or something in the morning recording and then you just slept on the like travel bed they had out in the living room and then you wake up and you realize like <coughs> okay back to work uh and and you i just heard andrea sitting there mixing the tracks i was like everything sounds like fucking shit i just hate it i was like i hated everything about it <laughs> so it was just anxiety the the last couple of days so no we we had no idea what we were doing or that we were doing something that had any importance at all it was just fueled by i have these riffs in me uh this needs to come out somehow and it's just like you have a dream of, of what it's going to sound like, but it was also sort of our first time in the studios. We were just like, we had no fucking idea, but yeah. we had a, we, we, we were lucky in a lot of ways. And also it was just fueled by like a lot of gut feeling. Um, and, and also I, I, I need to say that Andreas by then, that's how Nicholas and Andreas, the guitarist and the drummer, they met and how we got Andreas in the band. 
was because they were both going to this like uh, audio engineer um, school <clears throat> that had the studio as sort of a, in their facility. So uh, they were like coming up on like graduation. So Andreas at least were like, he was by then good at mixing. It was still like, he was sort of one of her, his first mixes that were going to like become a record. Yeah. But still, I mean, it wasn't like we were just like, oh, what does this do? I mean, uh, we were figuring out shit out. So we went, but I mean, he, he had some chops. Sure. Um, and we were also blessed with him being a very good drummer, um, even then. So, um, but yeah, I mean, when we put it out, it was, it was critically, I mean, pe- critics liked it. It was like, it got, four k's out of five in kerrang and i think it got like good reviews but mainly they were saying like oh this is good sounds a lot like black sabbath and caius yeah like, like a lot we, like caius we kind of talked about that on the fuzz club a little bit and and yeah to me it was it was so surprising because yeah i know that like the tone you know that it's stoner rock and it's right. got that caius vibe but like the vocals are so different the the, the records to me the caius records don't sound like this this doesn't sound like that it was surprising. And, and why would they single this album out compared to anything else that was coming out at this time? I mean, any, no, but I mean, to rock I mean, th- a, there wasn't that much coming out in sure. this specific sort of vein. There was a lot of like heavy stuff and, but there was, I mean, th- I, it's hard to think about it like that. Cause I mean, I know exactly what I did like five years ago. It feels like yesterday, mm-hmm. but then it felt like an eternity in 2000 when we put this out that 95 happened when i heard kaius for the first time it felt like ages ago yeah but for, i mean for most people it was just like oh it's that they sound like that record that i heard yesterday <laughs> so i don't i do sympathize with that we sounded a lot like kaius and that record sounds a lot like kaius but it's just because yeah kids that listen to kaius and i mean tons of other stuff but what came out was very much like for the love of this tone and the sound, mm-hmm. but of course, trying to do something our own with it. But it was, it, I, I was just like, yeah, I mean, you're right to yeah. the reviewers. It was just like, yeah, I get you. And, uh, and now if someone were to say that it would be, it would be such a different thing because it's been, now it's such a big scene and there's so many bands that draw references from Kaya's and Fu Manchu and like all these yeah. like OG bands and even like it's been like this weird full circle where people mention Otsuayo as like their reason for starting a band. It's just like that, just weird sure. to me. But it, it's it's very humbling, and you realize like all you need is time for something to like I don't know grow into what it is. And that is again what to answer your question with the longest answer ever. But I mean, if we had any idea of what we were putting out, it was like no, it was just a record, and we felt like out. After that initial phase of like hating it in the studio, when you're just like you've heard it so much, it it was like I didn't listen to it for like a week coming home, and then I just put put it on. I was just like, "Fuck, this is good." I was I I would I remember like hearing back Caravan, and then like it went into like the opening of Convoy Five, and I was just like, "Fuck, this is like this might be my new favorite band." Yeah. And I, cause it's always been like, I, once we're done with something, I'm very removed from it and I'm just listening to it as someone else's band. Um, and I think that is 
the reason you should do any music. It just feel like you want to listen to it over and over again. So really, when reviews came in, I was just like, I didn't really, didn't really matter if anyone else didn't like it because I was like, I dig it. And I mean, if you don't want to listen to it, fine. Then I'll listen to it. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it didn't. We weren't really like, we hadn't didn't have any idea of like us playing shows or any like doing them tours or it was just like oh we got to put out a record fine we're like we made it we're done yeah that's pretty cool uh, yeah it is pretty cool but then i mean then the the scene uh after that i i wouldn't say died but it definitely like we did this europe tour or european tour with dozer and then we came into like the the like shaky mid-20s uh where like we moved to different cities, started careers. Some of us started having like kids and it just like, we didn't disband or, or anything. We just like realized like, Oh, it's been like six months since we rehearsed. And since, I mean, we didn't really, we had like this, these seeds for like new songs and an idea of a second record, but there wasn't really anyone pushing us to do it. And there wasn't like a massive demand for it either. Sure. Uh, uh, so we were just like, oh, we'll, we'll get around to that. And I mean, I've always kept myself busy with too much stuff anyway. So I was just reala realizing like, oh, it's now it's like 2005, six. And I was like, we haven't rehearsed for like a year or two years. And there's like no plans for shows or anything. So that just kept happening. And then, it, it, I mean, it, we just like, we never disbanded or we were just like, we had an idea of like, it would be cool to do more Loretta stuff. But when I'm done with all of this shit. Yeah. Uh, but then there started to be like these murmurs of like people emailing. Uh, like not often, but you know, like, are you that guy from Loretta? And he's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I am actually. <laughs> it's like, oh, I really love your record. It's like, oh, yeah. you're really kind. <laughs> and then like what the internet as we know it today started happening where like in 2007, eight, nine there, I mean, Facebook started like intertwining people. And that is really like the, the, um, what do you call it? Like the, the event horizon or whatever, where like something happened where it stopped being our record and it, people like found it and started trading it around and just talking about it to which led to, and also we realized like, oh, it's like a second wave of like people digging this music. Yeah. Cause, cause it was like a very small thing back in the day when we toured for O2IO as well. I mean, we played for like 20 people, 50 people, a really good night on that tour was like a hundred, 150 people. That was just like insane. Uh, so you have to like take that into like how we, how we received the record was like, it was that it was like, Oh, we got to do a European tour, but we slept in the van most of it. Yeah. And like came back and we're like a little bit sort of disillusioned of like this band life. Like, do we really want to do this? Cause this is not like, it's, it's, we really need to like fund it ourselves. Um, and then like fast forward onto like 2009, 10 something. And you realize like the, the, this is living its own life on the internet now. And fast forward a couple of more years and I get an email from, from Reese, uh, who's, uh, the guitarist in, in stake, the UK band stake. And also sure. like the, the guy who, uh, is like 
the center point of the desert desert fest london team and they were it was early days for their festival i think there was a second year um but he was just reaching out like hey guys i just want to see if like a is this peter of loretta and b like would you consider like reforming for a show and i was just like wow that would that would be fucking cool like playing london um so i i called the guys and we literally hadn't been talking all the four of us for i think like five or six years by then i mean we've met like on and off like just one like two twos and twos but never like the four of us yeah and within five minutes the band was like back together to do to do this one show and you have to know like by then also like i I was mid like launching the second record for my other band ir droid i'd like focused on that for for five six years and put like the last three years of my life into making that record that second record so i was just like i'm launching this now and then that email pops in i was just like okay we'll just do that show but then it's like ir droid and then we get to desert fest and we had no idea it was like Literally, we had heard murmurs, but we go up on stage and there's like 2,000 or 3,000 people and they all know the songs. <laughs> it, was, it was it was literally like, you know, I don't know if you've seen that film, The Game, that old 90s film where like you can buy an experience of like living someone else's life mm-hmm. for for like a week or a day or whatever. And this felt like an elaborate prank. We're just like, who paid for this and how many of you are in on it? Yeah. Because it was just like, it was, it was so weird. And from then on, we realized like, oh, while we were doing other shit, this thing, like the, the regular, like shitty cheese that you buy at the supermarket that we put into the fridge, like 15 years ago. Now when we take it out, it's just like the finest cheese that costs like, I don't know, a thousand dollars a pound. It was like that, at least <laughs> yeah. to them. Cause like, yeah. we yeah. were just like, what you really love that thing that we did, that we I mean, we didn't have an idea of, of that it would be that thing. But I mean, th- again, that's someone said that the best thing you can do for your career is either die or quit. Uh, and I mean, we never quit, but we definitely like weren't available. Uh-huh. So in the like, I don't know, logic of supply and demand, it seemed like like there was there was no supply and the demand grew. So when we came back, the 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 love was real and we realized like, OK, we we need to like we need to give something back to these people now and we need to do it. Like we can't fuck up like a second album. Um, so it wasn't really intended to be like that long from that show until refractions came out. But I'd say like most of the songs were done in like 2016, 17, but then we had to figure out a, how to record it in four different cities and just traveling and, but mainly sending stuff back and forth. And then the whole like pandemic happened, but that was mainly like around launch, but we really had made like a pandemic record before the pandemic. Cause we were uh-huh. acting as a band to record that as people were doing, doing during the pandemic. Cause we like, there was no easy way of like for us for to meet. So, and also I was just like, I, there's no need to rush this record. If we're putting, <laughs> if we're putting this out and it's just like, it's okay. 
then people are going to see it as like the worst record ever because it's like it's it 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 it's it's the same sort of uh, freedom of putting out a debut record is like you have the expectancy of no one, and so like you can only win. Uh, and if you fail, there's like no no one cares. So it's just like sure. yeah. it's just a tree that fell in the woods that like eh, no one cares. But here it's just like it's a very public falling of that tree uh, if if you put out a dud. And um, I realized like when recording the, the tracks like as demos, I was just like, this is good, but it needs to be as good as not as good as O2IO is, but as good as people perceive O2IO is. Uh, yeah, that's be. a good that's a good point. Um, um, and and then pr- hopefully be even more than that because if we're doing a record that sounds like that record, we're also going to get like you think that you're giving people what they want, but people don't want the thing that they love. They want something that remind them of that, but is something new. Well, so there's you, you, there, definitely, you definitely nailed it on the, on that front. And I, I guess my question of how that came about is like. If I were in a band 20 years ago, yeah, it would sound and be like something very different than what I would want to make 20 years later. So how easy was it for you to and the band to go like we're lowrider again 20 years later? Like we're, we're we have to think stoner rock, we have to think uh desert rock record, we have to think fuzzy, we have to like yeah, was it natural? Were you still into that kind of music or was it like I mean I mean the, the whole the why I did I a droid uh in I released that debut record in 2008 and then the next one in 2013 why that band sounded like it did i don't know if you listened to it but i I think i looked for it one time and i couldn't find it after jad mentioned it it's Uh, it's on spotify i'll I'll send you the links i mean it's the thing is you can definitely hear it's me it's still got like i'd say it's it's more of a mix of like interpol and maybe like early queens of stone age okay but leaning on like the post-punk and more melodic stuff, but it's it definitely like pu- pushed through like the the sonics and and production style of a stoner band. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we were called like a stoner pop band <laughs> when we put that out, and people didn't people were reviewing that not knowing that I was in Lowrider previous, and they it was just like it was fun to see that I can't break myself free of like the love of like fuzz drop tune guitars yeah. and like lots of bass and drums so even when i'm doing like these this more melodic stuff it's like it's still like it's got this sluggish thing going for it mm-hmm. so but yeah i mean i was in that mode like writing more melodic stuff and i mean it's got riffs for sure but it's not like the riff isn't like the altar that you pray on it's like more the melody and the structure and it just needs to be like it was it was a whole different thing and i was in that mode and then i I needed to like, and that was, that was doing that band was sort of because I had grown tired of everything that happened after we put out Otoi. I felt like the, the bands that came after that and like everything sounded the same. And I just felt like I need to do something differently, like, or something different completely. I mean, I, no hate for any of the bands that were putting out music in the like mid 2000s. I just felt like, uh, maybe I just need to do something else for a while. And and I just like the music I was listening to was like, I was listening to Arcade Fire and like Aphex Twin and like Interpol and whatnot. I was just, I felt like uh, I need to do something like differently. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I was just like, that's also why like the second record 
why we didn't do that, which is I just like, I didn't feel I had it in me. And I felt like if we're doing it now, it, it's going to feel uninspired and like kind of tired. That's that's the thing that's so amazing about Refractions to me is that it sounds like the next record or 20 years later. I mean, it sounds like a, a part of Lowrider's history and it sounds like 20 years later because it's so much fuller and heavier and all this all this different, but you still know that it's the same band. The, the, Whereas the, I the, think that a lot of bands that come out <laughs> late, whether you're Metallica or you're the Stones or I would name a band, when they come out so much longer later and they try to make something, you go, now you just kind of seem like a parody of yourself or, and you know, it just feels very forced and no one, I mean, no again, that, you know? again, that, I, I mean, I, I have tons of those bands that I, you sort of, you love your, their debut record or even like the first two or something like that. Yeah. And then you're just like, you're looking at their discography and you're, you've gradually like stopped hoping for the thing you love. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to name any, bands except weezer maybe because i fucking love that debut record and pinkerton is ace and then it's just like what the fuck happened after that yeah and and actually you should check out this awesome channel called uh what makes this song stink on youtube <laughs> yeah. this this amazing guy called pat uh from uh from philly he makes like a, a long video essay like a breakdown where he pretty much goes to the essence of what the fuck happened to weezer but uh <laughs> I didn't. I hadn't seen that then, but I definitely didn't want to end up with Lowrider ending up like that because I like people are asking for like oh they've been asking for like when's the second record for like fifteen years by then and I was just like you know what uh, I'm gonna put out something when I feel like it's got it's like an, an honest follow up that feels like worthy of of being out mm -hmm. if it just feels like they did this record to like sell a couple of units, maybe do that tour or those festival dates. And it's just like, why? If if you if you have like the absolute luxury of of once in your life getting like a, something you do, even if it's like a painting or a record or whatever, if you do something that 20 years or like 15 years after it's released without you promoting it, people still care about it you have the absolute like i don't know it, it it's it's a necessity to not fuck up that legacy yeah uh, and it, it it's it's your duty not to fuck it up so i just felt like you know what i'd rather like stay silent and not fuck up what that record means to people than like putting something out just for me so that's why it took so long like when we started recording it it was just like that's why it needed to be done um and and uh but yeah, I mean, th what's funny about it is, and why it's called Refractions, is because a lot of those tracks are old Loretta tracks. The first demo we did for Red River, the opening track, that demo was recorded in 2002 or 2001 wow. even. It was just wow. like, it was just after, like, that was a rehearsal demo where just like, Ola was playing this riff. I was just noodling a guitar. I was just like, what did you just play? He was like, I don't know. Just like, don't play anything else. And I just like picked up the guitar and played what I heard him play. And that was like, -na 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 -na, that riff. Mm -hmm. And he, he was just like noodling, but he wrote that riff then. And then we, we built that in, I built that into a, a song with the chorus and whatnot. And we had like the seed of like this just verse chorus thing. Uh, and we were even recorded a demo 
And I was just like, this is cool, but I, in my head, I hear what it could be, but it isn't there yet. It's like far from it. And it needed all those years to then be recorded later uh, to like be finished. Cause yeah. I, I'm, I definitely, the, the vocals are pretty much the same, like melodically and, and like phrases and whatnot, but I'm singing it way differently. It's more, way more aggressive back on that first demo. And it just like seems, it's a very young guy who just like tries too hard. And, <laughs> yeah. and a lot of like what refractions needed to be for me was just like being comfortable with the vocals. Cause I wasn't really back then. I, I liked the vocals on Otaya, but to me, I feel like I'm trying to sing like my, like the guys I like, like my heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I would, I, I don't really have that voice that is sort of like pushed to the brink where I can sound like I've had whiskey all my life. I've got w- more of a crooner voice just naturally. And then with iAdroid, I lead in, into that and sang the way like my voice just wants to sound. And then I found a middle ground where I like with age, I, f- I found a little more like raspiness in, in my voice for sure. refractions. So like that's why I felt so like happy with putting out refractions. It felt like it felt like it, that this sounds like us. It's it's like it's way more of the record that were the band that we always should have been in a way. So, but yeah, I mean, uh, Red River is an old track. Then uh, we've got like these reimaginations of Old Pepe and uh, what else? let's talk about sun devil real quick because i know we brought right. it, brought it up on the fuzz club a little bit and we kind of talked about how it it sounded kind of like this bridge between like the first half of odio and the second half yeah. and i wanted to hear if that was semi-accurate and then why the decision to reimagine it for refractions and how that came about i mean you were sort of on to the to the idea but it was funny that jad actually forgot some some of the story behind that because yeah. when we were writing back and forth with emails, uh, when we were in, in the studio, I, I told him like, we, we have this like riff. We don't really know what to do with that. We jokingly called low, low garden. Cause we thought it sounded like sound garden. It was again, just a riff that Ola had this. Uh-huh. Uh, that opening riff. And, but we didn't know what to do with it. And he literally like showed it to me like mid first week of the two weeks we were recording. So he was just like, that's cool, but we don't have the time to arrange it. Or I mean, we just didn't, we were scrambling with all the other tracks already that were like, we were finishing them in the studio. We were just like, that's cool. And it feels like somehow it feels like the sort of little brother of anchor. That was like a finished track. So it just felt like that gun 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 that like second riff that comes in just felt like oh it feels like a natural sort of where in that you would start off anchor. So it was never really I mean now in a streaming age maybe you wouldn't have done that. Um but I mean then it just felt like this album is just going to flow because you're going to listen to it on CD or vinyl or whatever. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it just, to me, it always like, I thought that people saw it as sort of like this, just 
little opening to this acoustic opening to to anchor it could just as well have been like uh the whole thing was anchor mm -hmm. but it also felt like no but it needs to start on the one with like the drums and just like that it, it's weird with like this long acoustic intro for a track that's already really long yeah so the the but i mean we just dug it it was a very late sort of idea coming in and we just like oh it's this low garden idea <laughs> we just put it on there it was never like this conceptual thing of like it's going to be like the bridge between the two sides of the record because sure. we were figuring out track track order like last minute pretty much anyway so i mean it wasn't that conceptual but yeah. then it always lived with us that like oh that riff is so fucking heavy <laughs> uh you can hear it in your head but we only have this sort of acoustic version of it and then we actually, when we were formed, we did by request of um, the guys at Stone of Stone from the Underground, a festival here in Europe. Um, they're a guy who called into some sort of. They have a radio that they had or all, all year long, a sort of a lead up to the festival. This guy was re requesting like, oh. I, tell them to play a heavier version of of uh, sun devil and just to like i heard that from from the guys at the festival i was just like just as a dare i was just like guys let's let's do the heavy version just live and then we did and we we're like that was fucking great yeah <laughs> uh, so we i mean the 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 whole like idea of refractions was that's going to be this sort of like mishmash of old ideas like lensed through a prism to like create something new because all of the tracks really have some sort of old version of it even like pipe writer is a track that actually a buddy of mine he didn't really write it but he back in like 94 or 95 he was doing uh this chiptune music before anyone called it chiptune where he just like we grew up with 8-bit games and he was just on like these really cheap casio since he was playing like this mega man castlevania ish like super mario chiptune like 8-bit music yeah uh under his own moniker and he had this this track called pipe Rider that i always like just love the opening of and it was it, it just had a this sort of like it was way faster but that just melody was just constantly stuck in my head from even before Lowrider. And then leading up to Refractions, like when I was actually out here in the woods, I was just listening to that. I was just like, fuck, I hear it like way slower and like way heavier. I just hear like that could be such like a majestic fucking riff. Mm -hmm. And then, then I just started like <laughs> trying to play it on guitar based on like my, not listening to it, but based on my memory of, cause I had that cassette back in Stockholm and I hadn't listened to it for ages. I just had the melody stuck in my head. And I, so I took it out on guitar and, and started like build just the, the verse bit around it. And then when I listened back to the, the thing, <laughs> the pipe writer track, it was just like, they're not really the same. It's just like, they're, they're sort of in the same vein. They, they're similar of each other, but I was just like, as an ode to that, track that i've loved since i was 15 i decided to also name this one pipe writer and then everything 
outside of that is like our own track but yeah. but but yeah all of those tracks were very much like the sort of like take an old thing and make it something new um so the same thing goes with with sun devil that like we just like we were like oh should we put vocals on this I'm like nope this just needs to be as brutally heavy as it is and just like the riffs can stand by itself but then that's also sort of it it harkens back to that track leading into anchor on o2io when i was just sitting doing the demo playing bass when that sort of that last screech of like it track stopping i just kept on playing the bass there's a there's just bending part i was just like and just listen back to it mm -hmm. i was just noodling and i was just like that's fucking heavy <laughs> and that's how like the following track uh m87 Mm -hmm. like how that happened that was also just like something that happened when we were recording refractions it was not really that that riff and that sort of part just happened in like a day so it that was maybe like the most spur of the moment track on that record really because that it wasn't planned it was just like this jam that came out of playing uh, sun devil and landing in it and then just like that it just felt natural that that riff would would continue into it yeah so um but yeah i mean that that that's the story of of how an old track that wasn't really a track but it also just needed to mature and like land um and um i i know that people some people were like bummed that we put out refractions they were like most of the tracks are old I'm like <laughs> i mean yeah but i mean sure there are versions of them, but it doesn't sound at all like that, like yeah. the new one. Yeah. And also for me, like with Old Mule Pepe that we put out before on like the EP with Nebula, it was always to me, it was like, it was cool, but it was not how we played it live. When we, we like, it was a constant song on our set list since like 98, but we always played it way slower and tuned to C because that's how we tune. But for some reason on the record, it's tuned to just drop D and it's very like, everything is very like fussed out and there's not a lot of bass in the mix. Not, and the drums are pretty tuned up as well. So it just, it actually sounds a lot more like early Sabbath or something like mm -hmm. production wise. And I always heard it as more like this, like just explosion of sludge, when we played it live i was just like oh man we should have recorded it like this all along so i just felt like to make that track justice that's why that is on there but i always also thought of it as an old track but the funny thing about like now with refractions is now people are people are listening to that that haven't even heard ode to io sure yeah. and and you just realize like oh you you can just you can do whatever you want. You you don't have to like consider that we we put this out as sort of more of a demo version, which I to me at least like the first version is. It was just like we just recorded it once in the studio when we were figuring things out, even before we were like signed. And that's the version we have to live with. I was just like, no, man, we'd need to like put it out for real. So yeah. that's why that is also on there. So now that refractions has come out. 
and it was a huge, huge record. In my opinion, it was very successful and, and exactly what, what it should be and, and could be. Now, are you, is there like a new fuel lit behind Lowrider? Do you, oh. you have big plans for the next uh, year or two? Or is it going to be another I'm, 20 years before we... Uh... I mean, the the the, I, the joke's on us. I mean, I, I, I do understand that it's very low-hanging fruit to be like, oh, so I'll see you in 2040 for the next record. Yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah, but people don't realize, like, they thought that me and the guys are at least me being the main songwriter that was like doing nothing for all those years right and the, and no no the thing is it's just that it's the production phase of when we're making records is kind of long because yeah we don't really now we don't really have like the time constraints of a studio so we can just like finish the track when it's done it's done yeah. then then we put it out and since we're still like putting out stuff as an album format, um, the songs that are already done have to wait for the ones that we're currently recording. But yeah, I mean, I'll take that joke. It's it's yeah. fine. But but well, no. the scene like we we kind of talked about it a little bit. The scene itself has kind of had a resurgence, and then to have oh. you back with with such a great album like Refractions. Uh, just curious how how you guys feel about it and being back in it and you know I mean I mean every every show we're playing is sort of like pinching your arm moment it's yeah. it's it's really weird I mean we're getting I wouldn't say we're shocked now that we go up on the stage and there's people there we're we're getting used to it and it feels like it's fine but it's definitely not something we'll ever take for granted and it's mm -hmm. it is kind of weird to me but I'm I'm I'd say like maybe age does that to you, but sure, I, yeah. I, I think most of all, we're just like, we're grateful for every show and every, like everything we get to do is just like, we're just like, we're not taking it for granted. So, I mean, that's again, why the next, now we need, we don't have to follow up. Oh, to Iowa. Now we need to follow up fucking refractions, yeah. which is going to be even worse. Cause this was actually like received by people who didn't even know the record really well really well so, yeah i mean how how the fuck do you follow up having like an album of the year on most of the, like the blogs and charts and what it's just yeah. like oh. i know i know for me and a lot of my friends it was it was the album of 2020 and uh, i mean i and i'm i'm humbled to even be mentioned on like a, a top anything list but uh i mean I, I i don't have any anxiety about following up uh refractions like i did with o2io because i realized late in the process with or at least when like it started to become easy to make refractions was when i said fuck it i'm not going to try to meet anyone's expectations but mine yeah. i'm going to make this record for me that's how what made o2io special was just like we we're just four guys that wanted to make a record for us and when we stopped trying to make like a follow-up record to o2io but just try to make songs that we couldn't stop listening to then we were like onto some good shit. The tricky uh, part now is do you have any leftover ideas from Ode to IO that you can build on or are you starting completely from scratch now? On this no, no, no. That's the, that's the thing what I'm trying to, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a chatty guy, but I mean, and I detour and I get back, but I was trying to say like, that's what people thought I was not doing shit doing all those years. Thing is, I, I have like, I don't know, 15, 20 tracks lying around. Some things are just like a verse riff, but a lot of them are fully fledged songs. Gotcha. And and so what we have like on the roadmap, if you should be like corporate about it, is like the the roadmap 
for the next year is like put out an EP with Elephant Tree. I've heard uh, of that. Jed mentioned that a couple times. Yeah. yeah, that is coming out on the this next year of of Postwax. So it's subscription. Like people are subscribers, they get it uh, two three months early with special packaging and an extra song, and that's probably gonna be like autumn-ish next year because we're like finishing the recordings and putting I think we're going to master in like February or March and then you just have to wait for vinyl pressings so yeah it's it we're those songs are it's going to be four or five tracks those are done like up here and then they're being recorded at, at this moment and then I have another 10 or 12 that are like in the bag for for the album because we always thought of like this elephant tree ep as like oh the thing in between actually that was what we thought about refractions as well that was just like the ep we were supposed to do yeah um but because so some of the tracks we've been playing live since 2013 that we were like saving for the album and (laughs) and we're still like saving them for the album but we're somewhere like halfway through refractions like recording it realize like this is an ep this is an album yeah and we we just thought of that actually as like the little thing we're putting out before we're putting out the album and then we realized like oh pipe writer is like 11 minutes long and oh to ganymede is what eight and we're just like fuck this is like even if it's six songs it's like a full length yeah um so and then we just committed to be like oh okay this this is our comeback album or whatever like the second album so there's an ep coming and then the album we always thought of doing <laughs> as a follow-up to odio is coming after that and Great. that that's gonna have some of our absolute absolute favorite tracks on it it's um it's gonna be really good uh cool. if we don't f- fuck it up recording <laughs> it but um and i mean yeah i'm trying to expedite things but then again, we all have like families and lives and whatnot. And uh, so I'd rather do something that's worthy of like its predecessors than rushing it out. Also, sure. it's like there, there's no need to rush it. There's others. I mean, just this this year, you've had like Elder and uh, King Buffalo and whatnot. Just like I somehow I'm happy that we're not competing with our new release with them. Uh, maybe we will uh, any any year because they're so fucking prolific. But I mean, it, it just feels like if people want to listen to music, there's tons of great music coming out in yeah. the same vein. So that's why like when we put out something again, it should be worth it. But yeah. we, we're definitely on a timeline now where like the EP is coming out next year. And then um, the, um, the one after that, hopefully we are sort of, we're not really stopping recording for the EP when we're done with that. We're just going to continue to record and to record like the album tracks and then put out that out. So um, the only thing slowing things down now really is, uh, is like when we're done, people won't hear it for seven or eight months just because like we want to put out the vinyl at the same time as the record. Right. And you need to wait for like manufacturing times are just rough. It's just what it is right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if it'll get any better in, in 2023. And 
it is getting a little bit better. I mean, we, we're we're talking to plants on the daily since we're doing like post wax and, mm-hmm. and all releases really, and and we've had like the fortune of with refractions especially. We didn't expect it, but I mean, it it sold out really quickly of the first batch we were doing. It was like, oh shit, and then we need to do a second batch, and now we've had like the luxury of doing like. I mean, it's not huge batches, but still, we've had like I don't know a fourth or a fifth batch or a sixth sure. batch or whatever, yeah. and you realize like maybe we just need to like maybe have bigger batches because uh once you start to sell out you realize like oh fuck it's gonna be like another six months until we see new records yeah. so it's definitely a factor for anyone putting out music now that are dependent on vinyl sales it's, it's kind of yeah it's just what it is uh, yeah but it, it is getting a little bit better but it, i mean it's just it's better in the way of like it's now not like 10 11 12 months but rather like six seven eight yeah um that's to to me that's not like fast (laughs) it it's it's still like a very long time to wait for something that you thought was done right yeah it is it's tough to be done and go well i could just post this on on digital platforms now today or i can get a cd in a month and then to go like the vinyl's not gonna be out for six seven eight like that's it's got to be yeah. tough as an artist going like, I, I want people to hear this. And uh, I mean, yeah, in a way, yes, but I know I mean, it's tough as a fan because I know it, when, it, when bands go, we it have sucks. new music, it's like, shit. Oh, it sucks. It blows. I mean, I, yeah. and I mean, I've already played some of like the demos to, to some people that, I mean, some of the tracks that are going to be on this re- EP. I recorded a pretty similar demo to what the album version is going to sound like in like 2016 yeah uh so some of those songs feel like they're little like pre-refractions or like mid-refractions recording that just like didn't feel like they should be on that one so that's really how i work and so like i i just when i get the spur of like the moment idea i just pretty much do a pretty finished like production of it just to hear it like does this hold up when when like fully fledged and if it does then it feels like okay, cool. Then we'll like work on it together and whatnot. But a lot of times when I hear and I riff it in my head, I need to hear it in like context to know if it's any good. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that was always the fear when we were back in the day, when you had an idea that was sounded cool in your head and then you were recording the studio and it was just like, it's just sound like garbage. It was like, we're not finding the tone or like, it's not, it doesn't have the vibe that I was going for. And then you need to rush it out. And that's, I mean, I, I know tons of buddies and bands are like, they have this track that sounds amazing live and I know they have it in them, but the the version they put out, it's just like, it's not as good as it is live. And, and just because they were like, I don't know, they were scrambling for time or they didn't have time uh, in the studio to like finish it the way they were supposed to. I mean, it, we have the luxury of, of, being like having the time to be thoughtful about it and maybe i don't know maybe that's why like refraction stood out because it it felt like deliberate and and thought through in a way um that we couldn't have done without that luxury of like no pressure from the label no real tour to like uh that the record is supposed to support or whatever it's just like low is maybe like the most successful like side project or or like hobby band ever i mean we 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 take it i mean it's it's very serious when we do it but 
we also deliberately haven't signed with a bigger label that would come with like the pressure of like, no, you need to put out a record every other year. Right. And also you need to tour this much and whatnot, blah, 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 and do this and this and this to like promote. And it's like, no, yeah. don't want to do that. Uh, just want to do the record and then do the, the, the shows that matter. But mainly like the record is the record is the record is the record. Yeah. That's what it is for us. Now, I want to talk to you about art a little bit because mm-hmm. you, you do a lot of art and for bands and stuff too, right? Yeah. Did you do the refractions art or was it like more like art direction on that? Uh, I mean, uh, yes or no. I, di- I didn't illustrate it. Uh, but uh, that for that one, uh, all of the stuff for, for that was a part of the first post-wax year. And my contribution to the post-wax thing was mainly art direction of like finding... I was like scouring the internet for the for the right illustrator and because the idea was to do this sort of like thing we haven't seen before where all of the artworks on in the whole series if you put them next to each other they form a a a larger piece Mm -hmm. so they they all connect um and so for that i needed the one same illustrator to like do it but we were really doing it like one after another so we were like figuring shit out as we went along yeah we didn't have like this oh this is the piece and then we're like just drawing it and then we're giving people like the individual frames it was literally like okay uh now we've had like we have the head now we're drawing drawing the torso and now the legs is more like that um but yeah i found this illustrator called max luffler who is uh by then he hadn't like exploded yet and ever since he's now like i don't know if we could like (laughs) get his uh, get his time anywhere uh near uh that we could then because then we were like really putting time into each each of the artworks and now he's i mean he's doing like stuff for rolling stone magazine and like the national and i don't know he's working with everyone i yeah. i think so i've just i just realized like yeah i i found him just before like the the peak um but he he's amazing and i mainly how we did those records were like i had an idea i had maybe like a painted out a concept or like a layout of like this is how large things are going to be and ish and for for that one i drew an inspiration from from an earlier piece he had done that had like a similar vortex in the bottom and then i just the whole idea of like the refractions of like light going through a prism and coming out like um uh, refracted was since that was like what the songs were to me it just felt like it needs to um shine through in the artwork so that's when we sort of came up with this like these uh i wanted these like elemental shapes of like this um the these different prisms mm-hmm. uh so the this just light beam going through them and then into the eye uh, it that was like an early early concept that then I, I just sent him like I'm thinking like size wise it needs to be this but then just like go do your thing and then he sent that back and I was just like oh we're done yeah it's great yeah. and yeah. but you do a lot of your own work oh also, yeah right yeah uh, yeah like like Dozer and Greenleaf and a yeah. few of those those albums and stuff yeah. yeah I mean when I'm I'm I don't have like a specific style I think and I I'm. I'm kind of eclectic like that. I mm-hmm. sort of like when, whenever someone approaches me, like here's the record and here's what we thought. I usually, weirdly enough, I don't know where it comes from really. It's just like with riffs 
it's just like you get this first of either like a feeling or it's just like something pops into your mind of like it's here's like i'm getting like a silhouette of something like this and and then you just try to like follow that and just just pull on that thread and see what it leads you yeah and with so with like greenleaf it was pretty much just like they just have had a title that was uh echoes echoes from the the mass yeah it was echoes from the mass actually okay because it was from a lyric and i was just like not can is it okay to change the album title (laughs) and because i was like i'm seeing like a double they were meaning it as a, as echoes from the mass as sort of like mass in church or a, like that kind of a thing where I was just like, I'm seeing like this, this very typographical clean cover that just, again, I wanted some, to do something different than like, it shouldn't feel like a stoner record visually. I just felt like, I just see like this avant-garde typography thing where like you have this just gigantic like black hole or like, just some a, a large mass in the bottom mm. uh and they just then this sort of um whatever like burning satellite or whatever going going down towards it uh that crosses through the typography i just felt like that is what this album needs it's they haven't done anything like that before and just felt like that's going to be like the most the the pops to me uh and then i just painted outward from there so when we actually did uh, when I did a music video for the same record, um, for the track Tides, I the, it it ends with it just a set in space where Arvid the the vocalist is like on the International Space Station as an astronaut, and I comped it into all these real shots from ISS, and then in the end he just discovers out of the window this just large black mass, um, and where in the end you just see this sort of him burning he goes outside and then he goes inside of it and it then just like burns into the atmosphere in the end where it's like it's sort of the whole it went full circle with the 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 artwork now it's it's like when you can do stuff like that yeah uh, i I, there's nothing better but i really didn't like i don't really plan to then like oh now i'm just doing like avant-garde type typography records yeah uh it, it just depends on whatever lands in my lap i'll just try to like do that one justice um but i do i do have you when i look at like trying to find like a specific style through them all it's usually like heavy on typography and and uh and also like just trying to find a concept that works for for that record and and it tells a story in a way well, it's great. And you're a very talented person just in general, you know, the videos, the art, the music, all that kind of stuff. So it's very Thank cool. Thank you, man. Um, I want to ask you a few questions from Instagram. Uh, I posed the question if they had uh, anything for you. They all came back pretty much as expected. It's a, it's a lot of when's the new <laughs> album and uh, when's the, the EP with Elephant Tree coming and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of when are you coming to Helsinki? When are you coming to the USA? When are you coming to Stockholm? When are you coming to Canada? When are you coming to Germany? So uh, tomorrow, a lot, a lot the day time. after that. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, touring. Or, or I hate to break it to you, but yeah. we're never going to be like the touring band, uh, just because I don't know. I, I I have a lot of friends who who do that. I mean, I, I I'm I'm good friends with. 
I'm not going to name names, but like a, a lot of the bands that are on like that do headline shows and top of the bills of the festivals and whatnot. And a lot of them don't have the luxury of having like a second or th like third leg of a career to, to, uh, to do like I do where I can do like the graphic design, the film and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, they're like, they have maybe like a, a, a main job that they hate. <laughs> and then they, music is what like everything that they do that they love. Whereas like, I, I love to do records and, and I, I, I love everything about that with Lowrider. And, but then I like love film and graphic design equally. And me, just like the other guys in the band, we have families and, and being like away touring for longer periods of time is really taxing on everyone. Yeah. So, and actually it hurts sort of the process of making more records which is at least to me, like the, the, the main, like I want to do something that's forever rather than like, shows are awesome, but it's, it's, it's like just like this firework and then it's gone. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's sort of like, then you're just chasing the next show and, and you can't really do it. At least, I mean, we can't with like where family comes along with you. Yeah. So it's always going to be like, we're, we're trying to do like the shows that matter and where we can, uh, play for as much people as possible. So well, that's why we've been doing these bigger festival shows uh, and trying to do like the select ones that like where it feels like here we can do something special uh, rather than doing like a lot of club shows where I know it's like it's it's a lot of grinding there and usually also when you've done like Helsinki or whatnot, then you get a, an email like a week after like when are you doing Helsinki? Well, it's like, we were just there. Yeah. No, we were like literally doing Stockholm the other year. Or like it was and it was the Fuss Festival that was like it was kind of a big gig. It was like well organized, well marketed. I thought everyone who wanted to go were there. And then like literally a week later, or not even like like three days after the gig, it's like, when are you playing Stockholm? Like, we just did. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've also realized like Ah, maybe it's like better to just like try to do a thing that's a well advertised in, in advance and and where you can and where it pro probably also is like recorded so it's on YouTube. Then it's like then it has like the most longevity. Like when we played Hellfest this summer, it was like it was an amazing gig. There was tons of people there, and then also they were recording it. So now it's on YouTube. So it's like if you want to see the way show is with Loretta. That is like, I I think the best thing you can get outside of like being in a club. But yeah, <clears throat> but I mean, again, uh, now we've got so much focus on like doing the CP and and the record after that that anything that is like stealing energy out of those processes is going to be like, no, we're gonna like. It's not like we're not going to do shows. We have shows booked for for next year, and we're also booking stuff for for twenty twenty four even now. But it's definitely not going to be like, yeah, sure, book us for like three weeks. Yeah, here because right. it's because then it's going to be like we're going to need to decompress after that, and it's going to steal like two three months of like rehearsal and just like time out of studio. Yeah, to where that we could we could have recorded an album in that time, and then it's just like then we'll just do that. So. Uh, don't know about Helsinki. Don't know about 
I mean, really, the thing is with us is like if people reach out and just like say, "Hey, can you play here? Here's the date, and here's like the sum of money we can offer." If that money if is enough for us to like motivate that we can get the flights and and go there, sure. But if it's like, oh, we need to drive there, it's like gonna be a twelve hour drive there and back, and we're not gonna make any money. We're actually yeah. gonna pay for it. It's just like. I'm sorry, but I'd rather work on the record than. Yeah, it's just it's just that, and, it, and it, even as a fan, it's I would love to see you in the U.S. at, at some point, but it's like I, you only get to see him one night. So, like, if you're doing a tour of fifty dates or whatever, it's like it only matters to me one time, one yeah. of those dates, and then I want new music. You know, I want something to listen to, and I want to hear new stuff all the time. So, as a fan, like I love when bands go into the studio. I want to hear new stuff. So, I get it you know yeah i mean it's it's sort of like i i i i just feel like that um what's that line from lord of the rings when uh he, he feels like what's his i feel like too small of a uh piece of butter on on too big of a toast or whatever <laughs> yeah it, it, it just that's i always have like too much to do and i've committed to too much and i'm always late with everything uh so i'm always trying to like catch up with whatever i promised to do just because yeah i have these sort of different legs to stand on that i stuff i do uh and i don't have a manager that sort of like says you know you got too much already finish what you started so that lends you to leads you to the situation where like if people want to hear new music which is like what i'm dreaming of most also it's just like then yeah. touring is always going to be like i don't know fourth or fifth or sixth priority sure yeah one of the other questions, I guess, uh, they didn't really explain too much of it. It just said lyrics to Anchor. Does that mean anything to you? Uh, I mean, there are lyrics to Anchor. Yeah. It's been a very long while since I listened to those. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, we actually, that is one of the few tracks that we played back in, like, when we released o O2IO, but we haven't really, it hasn't resurfaced since. So it's been quite a while since I listened to those. A lot of those like lyrics on on O2IO is more like I'd say like just mystical poetry kind of uh -huh. thing it's just like words I liked or like phrases that felt like had a vibe lyric lyric writing back then wasn't really uh I never had like a a massive theme it was more like these little little ideas sort of just mushed together mm -hmm. um Whereas, like on refractions, it was a lot more deliberate, sort of like a. a I mean, it, again, it comes with age, but I mean, when I when we were doing Otoai, it was all riffs, and like lyrics were like the last we thing we thought about. It's just like, oh, it's like we need to record the vocals now. Oh, I'd better write some lyrics. That was literally it. I mean, yeah. and then sure, it mattered that it wasn't like anything that was awful, but. Or, or felt dumb, <laughs> but still, it's like there's some tropey shit in there and like mm -hmm. stuff I wouldn't have written now. But again, I was 18, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then you can imagine and, what my lyrics would be at 18. So <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's what it is. I mean, yeah. I, I'm I'm I can stand by them, but at some of it yeah. is just like this is just words that sound cool. Sure. It's it, it doesn't yeah. have that. But I think for anchor, I need to look at it actually. But yeah. but I mean for for fractions, it was uh, I. I'd listen then by then I'd listen to a lot of music that where like the lyrics were the main part of why I dug the song. 
uh, and I just felt like we can't put out one of these records where like, oh, I'm riding in the desert in my car and I'm going into space yeah. and like uh, I, I'm running out of, I don't know, I don't know, babes and gas and whatnot. It's just like, yeah. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, no harm in doing that, but it's, it's like, it, it's cool and it's definitely got a vibe, but that's more like, it's like party music then. Mm-hmm. And I, it maybe doesn't sound like it, but I mean, my idea of when we're doing refra- refractions was always like more of a headphones record. Yeah. More like a introspective sort of, you sit and listen <laughs> um and then maybe that it's that it's not that kind of music at all maybe it's like you want to headbang and like move but it's that the way i record music it's always like very headphony of like and um so yeah it's 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 a lot more heady in that sure. in that way where whereas i yeah o2i is a lot more of a like off the cuffs record it's just mm-hmm. like it's not a lot of f- for the better not a lot of like thought put into like is this good should we do this it's just like it feels right let's do it yeah it's more like that well i think it shows you know it, your maturity as a band also you know th- that change that shift but also you know it's still very much low rider so i think that you did it very well um thanks buddy but I've kept you for uh, long enough. I, I, I want to do one thing. Uh, I, th- I think I kept you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. It, it was great uh, getting all the background on everything. Um, but I do want to do Reeler Fuzz before you go. Uh, it's just a, a fun little segment. We're going to look at some album covers. And you're going to tell mm-hmm. me if they're real albums or if they are fuzzed, if they're fake, if I, if I created them. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, the first one, A Taste of Dick Black. Well, the thing is, I I think this is real because I think I saw it before. Oh yeah, this one but, is real. Yeah, this one is real. Yeah, it's real. I think it's I. It was like one of those early internet, uh, like, fuck, is this for real? But yeah, I mean, this you wouldn't put this out today. But yeah, it's it's real. Luther Lassiter, too cool for pool. I don't care. I want it to be real. This has to be real. <laughs> This one is not. This one is fuzzed. Fuck. Yeah. Although Luther Lasseter is a pool player. I, I chose a real pool player's name for this one. <laughs> I love him. Camel Toe, Burden of the Hump. This can't, this can't be real. <laughs> yeah, this one's fake. I made this one. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's it's definitely, um, you'd see in a record store. Yeah. I yeah. mean, there are some absurd band names, especially in like rock and metal these days. So that's why uh, some of these are believable at times. When, when, when all, Jesus, when, 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 when all, when all band names are taken, you, you people get creative, yeah. Yeah, you get something like this: Stoner Boner, the Boner uh, Stone. It's, it, it could be real, but it's not real. This one is it. it this is real, very real. Is it real? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What yeah. is this? Uh, it's it's like Stoner Rock. It's uh, I, it's been a few months since I listened to it, but uh, it's fairly new. It just came out, and they just felt like that that Stone Dick file. Like, two of like, them. Is, <laughs> two of is them. So it's so good. Let's copy paste it and just twice. put it. <laughs> yeah, so nice. You had to do it twice. Yeah. The fair sax diversions. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I'm I'm getting that that typeface by the way is one of my all time faves. Uh, this is um, hopefully real. Uh, this, one must, is, this one is real. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, wow. <laughs> I can't still believe that the the last one was real. It sounds like something that I would make though. The uh, the the pun the the fair sax. It sounds like a joke I would make. But I mean the, the thing the thing is with the fair sax. It it's so much of a pun that is believable. The yeah. thing is there's this like a uh, collection of of uh <clears throat> people here in sweden for some reason someone started to think it was a good idea that uh hair hair salons should have like a pun in their name uh, yep yep yeah is that a thing outside of sweden or for sure it... yeah like any any dog groomer or okay. like a hair salon or they all have a pun in their names so all right because i mean it's there's this list of like all the active saloon salons in sweden that have like it's like Harley Davidson and shit like that. <laughs> uh, where it's just like, so I mean, th that this should exist, like the Ferris Sachs, it's just yeah. like, sh why not? Yep. <laughs> the Strategy of Penetration by Buckner Fanning. I feel like he's penetrating me with his gaze right now. <laughs> it's just like, yep. guy, don't, guy don't blink. Uh, not <laughs> even for 198. Uh, he's not blinking. Um, this, this is also real. This is real. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Randy Coven, funk me tender. It's got to yeah. be real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is real. Guitar recordings. They were just like, oh, if you didn't really think that this was going to be guitar driven. If you didn't get it yet, now you yeah. get it. Guitar recordings. Cody Freedom, One Nation uh, Under God. Uh, Sadly, there's probably a version of this that is true, but I don't think this is true. But that yeah. guy, that guy definitely is not faking it. Uh -huh. From where you stole that picture, that guy is probably like legit. Yeah, I didn't have to do much to this one, by the way. Uh, this <laughs> one is it, this one is fuzz. This technically, it's not an album, but I didn't do a whole lot of photoshopping to it. <laughs> I feel like if he finds us laughing at this picture, he's probably going to find us. Yes. Uh, did you add the Second Amendment thing on the no gun there? No, nope. it's there. Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> and I mean, he needs the axe because why not? Because why not? Yeah, yeah. Need an axe. Kangaroo Court. Um, Spark Ranger is what it's called. Um, this is probably like it could be this Aussie, like weird kraut punk thing. Uh, so it's probably real. This one is real. Yep. Yeah. What is it? That, what kind of music is it? I I don't know what this one is actually. Um, I don't think I've listened to this one. I I probably like it. And yeah. it, it could it could be very like sound like early Beck or something where it's just like yeah. Let, let's just have a weird record cover because we don't care. We're yeah. so indie. <laughs> All right, last one I think. Uh, introducing the Pecker. And like, just to read it out literally, if am I seeing the pecker in this frame? Because if so, man, <laughs> is he's wearing he is he's he's wearing a sweater, right? Yeah. And so I I would say like if he then is he either he's calls his banjo the pecker, um, or the guy is called the pecker. Yeah. Uh, or he's introducing something underneath that sweater 
that is the pecker and then i like I, to think I, that he earned that nickname somehow and it's just introducing him the pecker is he because could it be that when you're picking a a banjo it's called pecking could be i don't know i don't know the exact term for it but i mean this is probably i'm gonna say it's not real because i i am now i'm going into typography here i it feels like the the blur levels on the pecker and introducing an emerald gem are different Mm -hmm. so i'd say it's probably like a collection of different things this one to my knowledge is a real album i think i think he has multiple albums in fact uh, if I if I remember cor- correctly, I think he's got a couple. So uh, the second one is like reintroducing the pecker. I don't uh, remember. Or okay, I mean, I mean, I I'd, I wanted this to be real, but I yeah. I thought it was like it's too good to be. Yeah. Well, um, impressive. Um, yeah. It, it is definitely an emerald gem. Um, yep. <laughs> um and it, it it is cropped just out of view. What yeah. we we what we all thought we were introducing, right? <laughs> uh, it's it's probably he's going like I don't know. Uh, it's probably like Duckburg, uh, uh, like uh, doll duck uh, attire. It's like <laughs> you, it's fully dressed up top, and then it's just below no yeah. <laughs> nothing below. Uh, yeah, probably it. Well, that was real or fuzz. You did pretty good. <laughs> um, that's all I got for you, man. I I really really appreciate you coming on though, and. Uh, giving us some more information on Lowrider and Odio and, and everything else. Uh, I'm a huge fan and I know everyone else on the Fuzz Club and a lot of people watching this podcast are huge fans. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I'll, uh, when we're off, rec- uh, or I'll send you some demos to listen to. And cool. I would love I, that. I'm not, I'm not, I could play them here, but then I've shot myself in the foot of like committing to <laughs> one or two of them. So I'm just going to send you some snippets and you'll tell me if it sucks or not. Love it. Um, Appreciate it, man. That's cool. All right. All right. We'll talk to you later. Take care, everyone.